Bibles, I would like you to get them and open them in 1 Samuel chapter 26. You guys can sit down. It's okay, you guys can sit down. You were troopers and stood up for longer than expected. So, 1 Samuel 26. And I'm only going to read a few verses. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's quite long, 25 verses. We're going to read from verse 9. If you guys can find verse 9 for me. So, just a little bit of a background, just so you guys know where we are at and you understand the whole pictures, uh, picture that I'm trying to, to focus on tonight. So, we've moved on from where David was just a little boy that got anointed at the age of 14 to 15. It's been some time since he fought Goliath, even though we spoke of it last week, so it's been some time. And a few chapters before the chapter we're in tonight, David has an encounter with Saul where he has the opportunity to kill Saul. And he chooses not to. And he cuts a piece of his robe so that he would have an evidence to show him that, listen, I had a chance to take your life and I didn't do it. And Saul feels sorry, he repents, he says he's not going to do it again. And all of this, all of that I'm telling you, happens in chapter 24. And here we are, just a few chapters later, what do you think happens? Same thing happens again. Saul is trying to get David, is trying to get rid of David, and somehow David gets the opportunity to do this again. So verse 9 goes like this. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said furthermore, As the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall go out to battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But please take now the spear and the jug of water that are by his head, and let us go. So David took the spear and the jug of water by Saul's head, and they got away, and no man saw or knew it or awoke, for they were all asleep, because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. So, this is where we are at, right? David got anointed in chapter 16, if I'm not mistaken. And from that moment forward, in God's eyes, David was the next king of Israel, even though Saul was still alive. And this was not something that used to happen. Kings only changed when the previous one died in battle, was on his deathbed of old age maybe, or there was a coup which we have here. So Saul obviously was not a big fan of David's. It's like knowing you have an opportunity to do something or something's presented to you and you have right, right beside you, you have somebody who can take that from you, right? 
You have this great opportunity. You can do something that you've always dreamed of or something that you think you're very good at. But then you have somebody right next to you who can steal that away. So naturally, Saul was not a big fan of David, and he wanted to get rid of David. He wanted to eliminate the problem called David. So there's a big tension. There's a great tension between them. And everything sort of culminates within these two chapters, right? So in the first chapter, in uh, 1 Samuel 24, we see David have an opportunity to get rid of his problem. He kept running and he kept running from Saul. And this is like, this is the moment. This is it. He, he has a chance to eliminate Saul. And he chooses not to. And then a, few, a sh short period of time after that, he has the same opportunity. And now, like I understand him not wanting to kill him the first time, to kill Saul, that is. But the second time, Saul lied to you. He said he's not going to follow you, but he still does. He still wants you eliminated. And David, once again, said, we're not going to do it. We're not going to kill Saul. So he, again, he takes something that was very close to the king so that he would know that his life was in the hands of David. But David chose not to touch the anointed one, King Saul. So this is, this is the story, right? This is where we're at. This is the, an overlook at what happens in, within these two chapters. And the question that, that arises is, what does this have to do with us? Is there anything that we can learn from this story? Is there anything that has relevance to us today? This story is very, very old, thousands of years. Is there anything that we can take from this story of Scripture that we can apply into our lives? And I would argue with you guys that the first and, and very important lesson that we can, we can grasp from here is patience. So David knew that in God's plan, within God's plan, he had already been chosen. He was the next rightful king. He had the anointment, but he did not have the position. Right? He wasn't king. He wasn't sitting on a throne. He was still waiting for Saul to pass, for Saul's reign to pass. So there he is, and he has the opportunity to speed up God's plan, right? He has the opportunity. Why wait? Saul's not a good guy. He turned away from God. He's leading the people of God astray. Why not speed up God's plan? And he has this opportunity twice. We could say that he had every reason to kill Saul, especially the second time. Saul lied to him. Saul tried to kill him. Saul tried to eliminate him and his followers, because by this time, David gathered some followers that were sick of Saul and that they wanted David to be installed as the new king. So the first very important lesson that I would argue and that I would want you guys to remember from today is patience. Because there will be times in your lives and there are times in our lives when certain opportunities come up. 
And sometimes you'll feel even justified going after them. And sometimes perhaps you'll feel, let's say, persuaded to maybe take the opportunity from somebody else. You'll feel like there's a way that you can speed up God's plan. So I was thinking of another way to like explain this to you very, very well. So I'm going to try an example from back home. So in the Christian community in Romania, if a girl is not married somewhere between the ages of 18 and 21, she's considered old after that. So there's a very big pressure that has been put on the girls to get married very, very soon and start a family and have children. So what will happen is that sometimes because of that pressure, girls will accept to marry the first guy that shows up. Sometimes that works, that works, but sometimes it doesn't. And because they're trying to rush the plans, they're trying to make sure that they do it within that time frame because there's a lot of pressure on them, they'll end up in unsuitable marriages. In the church my wife was at, she was considered old, although she was 23 when she got married. Because she waited and she got the best of it. Oh, I'm joking. Yeah, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. No. Okay, let me put this in a different way. When I was in school, in high school, any of you in high school here? Just a few of them. Most of them are in Miami. Okay, let's see. When I was in school, right, applies to everybody. I got this opportunity once to take a shortcut. How did that present to me? So, an older friend of mine said he had the answers to a test, a test that I didn't want to study, to a subject that I was terrible at, and those answers really helped, could have helped me in my mind. So I decided to take a shortcut. Instead of learning, instead of waiting, instead of being patient, I decided to, well, cut a corner. Instead of being like David, I decided to cut a corner. Now, this didn't help me a lot at all. Not only did I get caught, which meant the smallest grade possible, and, and it was a big story. So in the long run, it didn't help me at all. I thought it would, and I decided to take a shortcut. And what I, what I did was instead of waiting, instead of um, going through the process of learning for the exam, for the test, for whatever it was, I took a shortcut. And not only did I pay the consequences, but I've never learned what I was supposed to learn. So patience, waiting on God's plan, it's a very important lesson to learn. And if you're waiting, you're in great company. Just a few examples for you guys. Abraham and Sarah waited for a son oh, for a very long time. They were so old, but they waited, and God fulfilled his promise. Then we have Joseph, Joseph who waited for the promotion for years he waited, but he was faithful. Then we have Moses. 
Joshua waited to enter the promised land. Ruth waited for a husband. See, waiting. David waited to become king. And Job waited for the suffering to end. In, in that time of waiting, God can do amazing works within each of you. Can work on your heart. Can work on your patience, on your humili humility, on your dependence of Him. He can strengthen your faith. And the example can go on and on. In the time of waiting, of patience, God can do some extraordinary things with each and, each and every one of you. That was a sign for me to speed up. So that's the first lesson. Now, as I was reading the passage and as I was trying to gather as much information as I could, one question kept kept coming kept coming to me. So why did David decide not to kill Saul? Right? It's very clear from the, from the scriptures that the sleep that came over the camp of Saul was from God, right? There's no way, if you ask any, anybody who's ever been in the military or knows everything about that, there's no chance that within a whole army, everybody would be asleep. They would take shifts. They would protect the king. Somebody would have to be up. There's no way that everybody would have just been asleep and David and his friend and his servant Abishai would just walk through the camp to like the, where the king was sleeping. That's not a thing. So we know that God presented this opportunity to David. Now, did God want David to finish the job? No, he didn't. But he did want to see what David was doing with that opportunity. It was a test for David. And he decides not to do it because he knew that in doing so, he would be outside of God's will. He would touch the anointed one. And that was not something that he was allowed to do. And David says, we shall not harm him. And he just takes his spear and his jug because he wanted to be obedient to God more than he wanted to be king. So how would that translate to us? What would the lesson be here? Well, what would be the application that we can take for today? Well, the answer is simple and also complicated in the same thing. So just like David, we must know the heart of God. We must know what God wants, what God is telling us, and we have to be ob obedient. And the only way we can do this is knowing God's Word, is reading it every day, living it every day, and talking to God, coming before Him in prayer, in every situation. So this is what David did, right? You know, all of you guys know David was a songwriter, right? He wrote the Psalms, most of the Psalms. We, had a, we have 150 Psalms. And in those Psalms are some of David's most heated conversations and prayers with God. He comes to God when he's angry. He comes to God when he's scared. He comes to God when he's excited, when he's happy, when he's ready to worship with all of his heart. 
whatever David was going through, he came to God first. Whatever you're going through, go to God first. So in this time frame that I was telling you about, David wrote one psalm. Anybody know which one? No? Want to take a guess? 86, 90. No. David wrote Psalm 139. In this time frame, he writes this beautiful psalm that is about God's glory and how God knows him, and there's no place that he could ex escape from God's presence. But perhaps the most powerful verse is at the end of the psalm. And I want us to focus on that tonight. So the last two verses, 23 and 24, sound like this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the eternal way. So you see, even though David did the right thing, even though with, within this time frame, he chose to be obedient. He knew that at any point in his life, he can turn away from God if he's not careful. If he doesn't pray, if he doesn't connect to God every day, he knows that at one point he might make a mistake and do something that is against God's will. So he recognizes this danger of moving away of God, from God's will, and he, he asks God to know his heart, to know his thoughts. In other translations, uh, it's mentioned anxious thoughts, because wherever you're anxious and whatever is on your mind most is the place you, got, you trust God the least. So, as I was finishing up this, uh, this, this talk, I, th I thought to myself, the main title of the series is A Man After God's Own Heart. So in the way it works is that David knew God and God knew David. David loved God with all of his heart and God loved David back. So in order for us to be people after God's own heart, we have to do the same. We have to know God, and God knows us. And I promise you guys, God knows each and every one of you. And there's two ways you can do that. One is through reading the scripture every day. If you miss the day, don't miss two. But there's another, another way that you can get closer to God, and God can get closer to you, and that is through prayer. You see in the Psalms, those are all prayers. I know some of them are songs and we sing them, but at their core, they're prayers that David wrote down where he expressed all of his feelings towards God and recognized his power, his magnitude. Prayer to me is the most intimate way of getting closer to God, is the most honest way of getting closer to God. So in each and every situation, either through a waiting time, either in front of a choice that you guys have, 
there are two things you can do. One, you go to the scriptures and you find God's will. So you know what to do in order to be obedient to him. But the other thing that you can do is ask God in prayer to search your heart, to see if there's anything that shouldn't be there, to see if there's anything that you love more than him and ask him to fix that. You ask him to check, you ask him to check your thoughts. And if there's anything that shouldn't be there, ask God to give you the, pow the power to replace those thoughts with something that the Bible says. And three, asking him if there's anything in you that shouldn't be there, that's leading you astray from God. Ask him for him to remove it, just as David did, so that he can bring you back on the righteous path. All of this can happen when you intimately get to know Christ. David was a man after God's own heart, and that's a great thing to have, and that's something that I wish God would call me as well. If you want that as well for yourselves, first, be patient and wait on God's timing. Everything will fall into place at the right time. And second, know his heart, know his word, know whatever, everything that he says and everything that he has for your life and talk to him. There's no better way of knowing somebody See me and Jonathan here. We've been talking for the past few weeks, so we know each other a little bit. I haven't been talking to Hunter, so I don't know him. I know his name, but that's about it. Right? Yeah, I bet, I bet, I bet. He's awesome. Yeah, amazing. Thank you. The best way of, of getting to know somebody is talking to them. So talk to God. He's waiting for you. There's, and I'll, I'll finish with this. There's nothing more vulnerable. There's no, oh, I'm lost in translation. There's no thing more vulnerable that you can do than being totally open with God. He knows everything that's on your heart and in your mind, but he wants you to ask him he wants you to open up to him and he'll be faithful in answering every prayer that you guys have